The Truth News Network. In a time when narrative supersedes truth, when facts are the enemy, in a time where even Orwell would look at things and shake his head in disbelief, in a time when it takes backbone to stand up to the slings and arrows of outrageous deception, thank all that's holy, you have a voice. TNN, the Truth News Network, and Dan Newman. Isn't it interesting? Every day it's, it's like the landscape of the nation. It just changes. Nothing looks today the same way it looked yesterday. And I got to be honest with you, I'm not so sure these changes that we're being confronted with every morning when we get up are good changes. Nevertheless, don't fear. Don't be afraid. We're going to be okay. We'll get to the bottom of all of these things just as we have the uh, time and uh, all of whatever is necessary to get there. We're going to get there. Why is that? Because you were born. You were born in the greatest nation on the planet. And that means we are the freest nation on the planet. All that being said, yeah, there are those out there that are trying to steal these precious things that uh, we inherited just because we're citizens. They're trying to take them away. They're trying to seize power, seize control, and use and manipulate. We're on to them, though. We got this. You and I, we got this. Welcome to TNN Live. I can't believe we're already at the middle of the week. Just two days and a weekend. I I really think that the closer we get to real summer, especially in the South, the quicker the days go by. And it's exactly opposite of that scientifically. Our days get longer. We have more sunlight. I just don't understand. Maybe it has something to do with the fact that I'm 68 approaching 69 years old. Maybe maybe my uh, time clock in my brain is changing as I'm getting older, whatever the reason or reasons. I remember when I was a kid this time of year, every year, every single year, I remember looking at the calendar hanging on our refrigerator down in Lafayette, Louisiana, and I'd look at June. That was the magic month for me because somewhere around May 31st, we were about to shut school down. And summertime, when I was growing up, it was the most incredible three months of the year. We didn't have a lot back then. I mean, we didn't take dramatic vacations. When I grew up in Lafayette, my parents' families both came from southeast Texas. So our vacation consisted of pretty much going to southeast Texas and going from relative to relative and catching up. And then occasionally one of those relatives would come to Louisiana and spend a week or so with us catching up. But those were special times to me. I loved reading. I still do. My eyesight's not what it was when I was obviously that age, and it's a little tougher to read. But nevertheless, I learned so much in my early years by just reading. We had a bookmobile in Lafayette that would come around every Thursday into our neighborhood. And I couldn't wait for it to come. And I would always check out the maximum number of books that they would let me. And I would just, when it got really hot during the day, which it always does in South Louisiana in the summer, I'd go inside and take a nap, do lunch, and then go into my bedroom supposedly to take a nap. But I would pull a book out from under my pillow 
and read. I learned so much about the world around me. I learned how to deal with it, how to deal with others. Much of that I learned from reading. So this, this even now, this time of year is a special time for me. And I got to be honest with you. If we don't look for the good, we're going to be consumed by the bad. There's plenty of that to go around. Don't bite off more than you have to deal with, folks. That's a suggestion from an old guy. Pick your battles. Choose the wars that you want to get into and make sure they count. Make sure they're worth something. And relationships need to guide all of that with you and for you because those are the precious things that you got to have to make it. Very few of us can do it on our own. Sometimes we have to. And when you get to the age of 60, for those of you that aren't there yet, I will tell you, that's when at some point you'll look over your shoulder and say, oh my goodness, more of my life is behind me now than I have life left in front of me. That's a shocking realization when it finally shows up at your house. It always does. I never thought about it until I got close to that and I mentioned it to someone else who said, chuckling, yeah, I just went through that a couple of years ago myself. (laughs) I started to say a South Louisiana chuckle that I heard a long time ago. Life sucks and then you die. (laughs) Well, my life doesn't suck. And yeah, we're all going out of this place the same way. (laughs) And there are no U-Hauls behind hearses headed to the cemetery either. You can't take it with you. Enjoy everything you have. Enjoy every one that you have. Relish every second that you have with those that you love. This is a time of year. We just came through Mother's Day. Father's Day is a few weeks away. This is the time of year where we should celebrate all of those people in our lives and our family. Even if you don't have the money or you don't have the time to take a real vacation this summer, try to find some way to make it a vacation. How do you do that? I don't care if if you don't have money for a hotel, you don't have money to go away for a week, gasoline, food, all those things rolled in. I got to be honest with you, going across town right now is a chore when you look at $5 a gallon for gas that's staring us right in the face. This is a scary time, and everything, because of inflation, everything is costing us more. We're getting less, and we're paying more. And there's some news out this morning. First, inflation, it did go down a little bit in April, but (laughs) don't think that's good news. The consumer price index rose 8.3% compared with a year ago. Prices were up 0.3% in one month. This is the 11th straight month of Bidenflation above 5%. Prices rose at an annual rate of 8.5% in March. Do you understand what that means? That $1,000 that you had in cash and you were going to use it to buy something a year ago, it's worth almost 10% less. You've lost just sitting in your bank account you've lost almost $100 of that 1000 that you put to the side. That's a real thing, folks. Economists had expected consumer price index to go up by 0.2% for the month. 
and 8.1% compared with a year ago. It was a little higher than expected. Core consumer price index, what's included in that? Well, it excludes food and energy. It rose 0.6%, well above the 0.4% that was estimated. Compared with a year ago, core prices were up 6.2%, above the 6.0% that was expected. So just boil all of this down for us, Dan, and tell us what's going on. Let me just let me just say this. We have leadership in Washington, D.C., and not just at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, across the spectrum of our federal government that are feckless, they're incapable, they're incompetent, and we have a bunch of politicians that think just because they're politicians, just because they've been in office, many of them for a long time, just because of that and no other reason, they know everything about everything. And we elected them and sent them up there. So we just need to sit down and shut up and let them get us into and out of all of these things. They're doing that. When, as a matter of fact, we had a president. We had a president, the 45th president, that economically, in just a very short time, got this nation in the best economical situation it had been in in more than 20 years. How did he do it? Real simple. It starts right here. Donald Trump was not a politician. Donald Trump was an American. He was an American that had a great start in his life. His dad gave him some money, and then he spent 35 years turning the money that his dad gave him to get started into a billion-dollar asset base. How did he do it? In business. He learned business. He learned the people in business. He learned how to treat people. He learned how to inspire people. He was a leader, a business leader. And he didn't get up and just say, I know this, and you need to listen to me because I'm this, and... I'm that. He didn't have to do that. He led by example. And we heard him when he campaigned the promises he said he was going to do for us. We hear that every time. Anybody runs for any office. If you elect me, here's what I'm going to do for you. We're lucky if they get 10% of what they promised done for us. The only things that Donald Trump could not in his four years get done and did not had nothing to do with him. It was the resistance of others that he had to have cooperation with to get them done. I'm talking about Congress. It's amazing if you go back and look. I tell you what, go back and look at the end of 2017. Go back and look at truthnewsnet.org. Go look at the main index. We published a list At the end of his first year, Trump's first year, we published a list of all his accomplishments just in one year. It'll blow your mind. In my lifetime, no other president has ever come close to achieving what he achieved in just his first year. And then it got better and better and better. Life for Americans got better, better, and better. The middle class saw across-the-board tax decreases, across-the-board income increases, 
Prices went down. There was zero inflation. There was a little bit, but very little. Jobs just sprung up almost like grass growing in your lawn. Everywhere we looked, there were new jobs. People that hadn't worked in decades were finding places to go be productive, work, make money, improve lives for themselves and their family members. It was pretty cool. The only bad stuff that went on during that four years was the incessant, constant, evil attacks against Donald Trump that are still going on to this day. We're going to get into that just a little bit. Eric Holder, former attorney general for Barack Obama, he's got the stage, folks. And, of course, he came out yesterday, and what did he do? The Obama... Biden family syndicate is in full regalia now on the public stage. It's no longer the Joe Biden administration, even if it ever was. It's the Obama slash Biden administration, and it always has been. There is no doubt about it. This is the extension of the Barack Obama administration. Not officially, but Obama and his minions are the ones that are in the ears of this president and every other person in leadership in his administration. It's an extension of taking this United States to a socialist slash totalitarian slash authoritarian political environment that they all screamed and pointed at Donald Trump saying he wanted. There's not one example in his four years as president that Donald Trump showed any authoritarianism. Not one. Yet, we saw it for eight years under Barack Obama and Joe Biden, and we're even seeing it now from Barack Obama. What's this world coming to? I, I, I just got to be honest with you. We got trouble at the top, don't we? Yesterday, Joe Biden came out and he tried to set Americans at ease because he's in charge. He's lowering cost. He's tackling inflation. He's lowering cost and tackling inflations. And as he read the teleprompter doing giving this speech he is that he gave yesterday, Every time he looked at the sentences that came up on the teleprompter, you could see it in his eyes. I'm looking at a picture of him doing this speech right now. And you can almost read behind his eyes when he's looking at the teleprompter, he's saying, what's that word mean? He said inflation. Now, this is the president. He said inflation was both a strength and a threat. He didn't explain that. Why wouldn't he explain that? That's a pretty deep claim to be made by a president, right? Inflation is both a strength and a threat. I think when he said it, he kind of realized, maybe I just messed up a little bit. He followed that up by saying this, quote, I agree with what Federal Reserve Board Chairman Powell said last week that the number one threat is the strength 
And that strength that we built is inflation. Huh? (laughs) That's a strength? I will say this, Mr. President, you certainly did build it. You created it. It wasn't there. It wasn't there on Election Day in 2020. It wasn't there on January 20th when you took office. It was on its way because everybody that has anything to do with the marketplace that can create and facilitate inflation, they had already started their stuff because you told everybody what you were going to do and what you were going to do and what you did created inflation. He continued in his speech, he said, so the Fed should do its job, and it will do its job. I'm convinced with that in mind. He was in a fog. He had no clue what he was saying. He got a little more articulate as he continued through his remarks. He discussed his plan to address this skyrocketing inflation going forward. Listen closely. I'm going to kind of half-whisper it like he does. Now, as I said, when I came to what Congress and the President can do to fight inflation, Americans have two potential paths forward. First is my plan, the Democrat plan. Plan put forward by congressional Republicans is a second alternative, he said. My plan is to lower everyday costs for hardworking Americans, he said. The Republican plan is to increase taxes on the middle-class families, let billionaires and large companies off the hook as they raise profit, raise prices, and reap profits at record numbers, record amounts. And it's really that simple. You know what was missing in all of what you just heard? Three paragraphs. There was no substance, nothing. Nothing but pure allegations, no examples, no, here's what we're going to do. We're going to tackle inflation. My plan, my plan. Let me tell you about my plan. Let me tell you what we've already instigated and look at the successes that we have wrought from instigating my plan to lower cost, tackling inflation, inflation that I inherited from Donald Trump. His deficits were out the, the, the wazoo. Yeah, they were. You know exactly why they were. It was because of COVID-19 and lockdowns and relief and getting things done. But you know what was missing in those two years under Donald Trump? The beginning of and the second part of coronavirus? What was missing? Inflation. Biden yesterday. He said, there are two things that are causing this inflation. Two things. One was COVID-19. It caused inflation. There was no inflation, nothing like we're experiencing now until January 20th, 2017, when Trump was gone and Biden was in. So what changed? Remember the saying that we go to all the time here at TNN Live. You got a problem in your life? Things at home, things at work, relation problems. 
You don't like the way they are. You want changes. Nothing changes if nothing changes. Well, doctor, every time when I move my arm like this, it hurts really, really bad. What can you do about it? And the doctor looks at you and says, nothing changes if nothing changes. Well, what do I need to change, doc? Well, quit moving your arm like that and it won't hurt. Sounds really simple, doesn't it? It is simple. You see something that needs to be changed. First of all, you must understand why it is doing what it's doing. Secondly, what are the options to change, to stop it, to make it do something else? And you come up with the best of whatever your options are. And you change those things within the process, within the people, within the company. You change what needs to be changed so you don't get the same results. Nothing changes if nothing changes. Joe Biden is consistent with only one thing as our president. He's consistent at making wrong choices. That's his only consistency. Everything else is fly by the seat of your pants. It's just like the difference between those evil AR-15, those, you know, tactical military weapons, which they aren't. They shoot one bullet when you squeeze the trigger one time. Joe lives with a shotgun. What's the difference between a shotgun and a rifle? A shotgun's got a shell that's full of little BBs. And so when you put that shell in the chamber on your shotgun and you point it in the direction of what you want to hit, the odds are you may hit it, but it'll be with a bunch of little BBs. If you're a really good shot and you use a rifle, you're going to have one shell. If you're a good aim and you hit the mark, it's going to obliterate what you're aiming at. Shotgun may hurt it, may slow it down but it's not going to kill it. This guy lives with a shotgun. Where are we going to go in today's show? We're going to talk about you. We're going to talk about directly those things that are impacting you today. Are you worried about your job? Are things at work getting a little testy? Maybe the income at the company you're working for is down because of inflation, because people not having the money they've had in the past few years. They can't buy, they can't go, they can't do the things that make and generate money, gross revenue for the company you work in. Think about if you didn't have that job. Remember when you didn't have it, how frustrated, how desperate you felt. You didn't know what was going to happen. You didn't know what to do. So you just put one foot in front of the other and just kept trucking. We don't have answers for all this crap. We don't. We have understanding. We have knowledge. We're not stupid. We can look at the circumstances that we see every day going on in our own lives, looking around your neighborhood at the lives of your friends and your neighbors around the neighborhood, get on the phone and talk to relatives that live in other states. 
We're all facing almost identical issues. What are they? Inflation, number one. We can't get kids' baby food at the grocery store. Who would have thought that any president wouldn't have been on top of that and had people that worked with him and for him that something that significant is going to happen? That, in large part, is the way this president runs the nation. It's not about looking ahead and planning. Coming up with plans, implementing them before anybody even knows there could possibly be a problem. That's management. Joe Biden, he governs by waiting. It's the old whack-a-mole game. You know that? You got that little rubber mallet, and you got all these heads on this platform in front of you, and when they pop up, you hit them, you whack them on them with the little mallet that you have. And as quick as you get that one, and another one pops up, and you hit it. That's reactionary governing. That's what Joe Biden has made his mantra. We don't do anything until something happens, and then we respond. We fix it. Look what I did. COVID-19 was ripping this nation apart. I came in. We had no distribution plan for COVID-19 vaccines. Donald Trump didn't hand us any plan. You know that Afghanistan debacle that happened. It happened because of Donald Trump. He didn't give us any plan for a withdrawal in Afghanistan. All of those two things were ball-faced lies. Somebody dropped the ball on both of those things. And it wasn't Donald Trump or anybody in his administration. It was everybody in the Biden administration. They didn't have a clue. Did not have a clue. So when you, in this heading into summer period, when you get depressed, you really get down. I don't want to diminish any of those feelings. They're real. I get it. I understand. Just sit down for a little bit when they seem to overwhelm you, these thoughts, these fears. And just do this. Forget about the bad stuff for a few minutes. Get the big yellow ledger paper out and get you a pen and draw a line vertically from the top to the bottom, right down the middle. At the top of the left side of that, put bad stuff. Write those words. On the right side, put the words good stuff. And as you sit there, think through your life the way it is and what it is right now today, the circumstances you're in right now today, and throw everything into the mix. Analyze, look at, think about, write down everything, good and bad. If you'll do that objectively, let me tell you, I promise you, What I'm about to tell you will happen at the end of it all. You'll realize two things. One, it's not as bad as you thought it was. Even though it's still bad, it could be a lot worse. And two, you're a blessed person. If you're objective and you analyze everything in your life, good and bad in every area, you'll realize that you've left some of the good stuff out. Why? Because we take a lot of that for granted. 
We take a lot of people in our lives that bring good things. We take them for granted. That song, Counting Crows, you know exactly what I'm talking about. What's the name of that song? During our first break, during our first break this morning, I'm going to find that song and play it for you. And I want you to listen to the words to it. What does it mean? It means just what I said. It's typically not as bad as we think it is. We need to be thankful for the circumstances we have, knowing they could be better. We're going to crack it all open in just a minute. Back right after this at TNN Live. Duncan is putting a whole new spin on pumpkin at Duncan with our new pumpkin cream cold brew. Smooth, bold, cold brew topped with velvety pumpkin cream cold foam made with cinnamon and nutmeg spices. And there's more pumpkin for you to love, like the delicious fall classic, our pumpkin spice signature latte. Rich espresso topped with whipped cream, caramel drizzle, and cinnamon sugar. That's how we pumpkin at Duncan. Sip into the fall season with the new pumpkin cream cold brew or pumpkin spice signature latte. America runs on Duncan. Price of participation may vary. Limited time offer. Exclusions apply. Are you sure we should be out here? It's pretty cloudy. Come on, that'll pass. Really? I don't know. Yeah, That's just, just swing. I'm holding swing. a swing. <sighs> Bob? Whoa. Looks like someone could have used Yahoo OneSearch on his mobile phone. Try Yahoo OneSearch and get news, sports, even weather. Get better results. Text weather and your zip code to 92466. Be a better golfer. Yahoo! Standard carrier text messaging rates apply. Genuine Ford Parts and Service presents a word from your wallet. Are we at the gas station? Yeah, I know. I'm feeling these gas prices, too. I'm the wallet down here. Head to a Ford dealership. Why? Proper vehicle maintenance. A new air filter can save 19 cents a gallon. Correct tire inflation up to 6 cents a gallon. Wow, that sure adds up. (laughs) Fat wallets are very in right now. Right now, Motorcraft air filter replacement is just $19.95 or less. Replacing a dirty air filter can increase fuel economy by as much as 10%. Well, done. That was easy. Maybe you should listen to your wallet more often. Well, you're typically pretty quiet. Well, I didn't want to be a pain in the... Uh, 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 uh. Hurry in for the best deals we've had in years. Money-saving rebates on brakes, batteries, tires, and more. See your participating Ford dealer today. While some compromise to be nice, others aggressively hold to the truth. Guess which one we are. TNN, the Truth News Network. We're not compromising. That is for sure. So, it's Wednesday. It's hump day. I I just wonder if Clyde the Camel is going to come in during one of these commercial breaks. The Geico Camel. Hey, hey, hey. Guess what day it is. (laughs) That's one of the greatest commercials that has ever been done. And it's, it's timeless. Um, it's almost like, where's the beef? Remember that Wendy's way back in the, when was that? In the eighties, nineties, Gladys, remember the little old lady that would, uh, come into the fast food restaurant, look at the hamburgers or cheeseburgers. And she would say, where's the beef? Like there was no meat there. Wendy's has, you know, it's stuff like that. Things that you remember. I'm about to do something. And I'm going to do it and make it impactful. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. I want you to concentrate, focus on just what I'm about to say. Figure out what process you need to, 
to make you remember this. Things are not as bad as you think they are. Always remember, as bad as they are, remember this. Dan at TNN Live said, they're not as bad as you think they are. They never are as bad as we think they are. And find the good. Remember that song I told you? It is Counting Crows. And it's Yellow Taxi. Listen to the words to this song. It fits. They paid paradise and put up a fucking line. With a pink hotel, a boutique, and a swinging hot spot. Don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you got till it's gone? They paid paradise and put up a fucking line. Took all the trees and put them in a tree museum And charged the people a dollar and a half to see them No, 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 don't it always seem to go That you don't know what you got till it's gone You be in paradise and put up a fucking lie Listening to the words. Listen closely. Listen late last night. I heard the screen door swing, and a big yellow taxi took my girl away. Now don't it always seem to go That you don't know what you got Till it's gone To be in paradise Put up a fucking lie And now, now Don't it always seem to go That you don't know what you got Till it's gone To be in paradise Put up a fucking lie Why not they pay paradise To put up a parking lot Hey, 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 pay Give it all away. Don't it always seem to go? We never know what we lose until we've lost it. Never know what we had until it's all gone. Golly, what an inspirational, truthful song for us to be listening to and talking about. 
That's the way it seems to always go. You never know what you got until it's gone. Wow. Hey, it's better out there. (laughs) It's going to get better. It's got to get better. Let's enjoy what we have and just plan. Look at the bad things and come up with some suggestions. You know, I told you to pull out that legal pad and do the one side of the page, what's bad, the other side, what's good. Why don't you do another sheet and look at the stuff that you listed is bad in your life and write down the things that you feel can change each one of them, things that you can do that can change each one of them. You know what will happen? At the end of it, if you're depressed when you began writing down the bad stuff and the good stuff, you'll realize, I can make a difference. I can fix this. I can change this and put this in the place of this and stop this. Even if it's down to nickels and dimes and dollars and $10 bills. It's all relative. It doesn't have to be a monstrous financial uh, boondoggle to get you down. It can be, it's all relative to the circumstances in your life and just keep it relative. Don't make it any bigger than it really is. I'll never denigrate your bad circumstances. Never do that. I don't know you. I don't know your circumstances, but I do know this. If you look at it as the glass being half full, you can honestly always say the best is yet to come and concentrate on the best that's yet to come rather than the OMG. Look what's look what's happening to me today. Look how bad it is. I don't know if I can make it. I'm with you. I have days like that. Things that just overcome me. I think I think we all do. And I got to be honest with you in the business that I'm in and doing what I'm doing right now chatting with you, my wife will tell you Many, many days when I'm doing research and investigation, getting ready for a show or writing a story, I get really down. I feel dirty. It's hard to believe that in the United States of America, we actually have people in leadership that not only do bad things, they allow bad things to happen. And I mean, look at just the southern border. Look at what's going on and has been for years now in Texas and New Mexico and Arizona and California. All of the evils that are put on the residents of those states by the feckless do-nothing policies of the federal government. Here's an example. The Del Rio Sector Border Patrol agents in Texas. They had uh, just kind of a so-so weekend they apprehended more than 2,600 migrants over the Mother's Day weekend. They also got in the middle of and interdicted 16 human smuggling loads. They rescued 12 migrants, and they found out on the desert the remains of eight dead migrants. Just another work weekend, right? Del Rio Sector Chief Patrol Agent Jason Owens tweeted a report that showed a pretty busy Mother's Day weekend for his Border Patrol agents. 2,658 migrants, think about that, in just two days. These apprehensions included about 400 migrants 
apprehended in three large groups that came together. One group was 126 strong, crossed the border near Normandy, Texas. The other two groups, 131 and 132 migrants respectively, crossed closer to Eagle Pass. And included in this these groups were migrants from seven different nations. Chief Owens reported the weekend's apprehensions of 2,658, including 57 unaccompanied children, 496 family units. It also included those arrested in 16 interdicted human smuggling incidents. Border Patrol agents there, they carried out 12 rescue operations and unfortunately had to cover recover the bodies of six migrants. You never know what you got until it's gone, right? Wow. So what's going on with our president? What's going on? Well, his biggest political problem has him in a bind right now, and you know what it is. It's the I word, inflation. Inflation is bogging down the president's approval rating more than any other issue. But right now, there's not a whole lot he can do about it. He extolled some of the actions he's taken in that White House speech yesterday. But the key lever to bring the inflation rate down, the power to increase interest rates, he doesn't have control of it. It's held by the Federal Reserve. This leaves Biden trying to put a dramatic gloss on some moves that are likely to have, if any, just a small, modest impact on inflation. He outlined how his administration is releasing millions of barrels of oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, broadening the availability of an ethanol blend gasoline, and attempting to ease supply chain constraints. And millions of barrels of oil from our Strategic Reserve. What has that resulted in? Well, he did that 60 days ago, and our gas has never been higher than it is today. He also sought to empathize with the problems you and I are facing. Prices continue to spiral upwards. Families all across America are hurting, he acknowledged. He said that all of my plan is focused on lowering costs for the average family in America. But his very limited leverage over inflation, it's going to be cast into stark relief again tomorrow when the Department of Labor releases new figures for April. Economists expect the price hikes to come in about 8%. We told you a little bit ago, they came in even higher than that. March inflation rate, by the way, was the highest figure recorded since 1981. There is no quick fix. We didn't get here in a day or a week or a month. We did get here in less than a year, and it wasn't because of any one thing. It was because dozens of things had been implemented, changed, canceled by this president when he signed in to be our president for four years back on January 20th in 2020. 2021. Federal Reserve, the central bank, Guy that runs that's Jerome Powell. He is taking some action. Last week, he announced a half-point increase 
in baseline interest rates. They have signaled there are almost certainly more half-point rises to come. Now, what does this do? It slows down the really crazy, wild spending that's going on out there, and it's supposed to bring inflation down. Sometimes it has in history. Other times, it hasn't. Meanwhile, what can Joe do? What can he do? He can start listening to people that are real economists that have got successes in their rearview mirror in economics. And not just at a company, but in running a major business or novel idea, being part of running an effective administration in the United States government. You know where he really messed up? He really messed up when it came time for him to start making phone calls to get some advice. Oh, he called his buddy Barack. Yeah. Ron Klain, his chief of staff, who is feckless himself. He's in the president's ear every day. He called Pete Buttigieg, secretary of transportation, former mayor of South Bend, Indiana. Boy, he's got a lot of experience running things. Barack Obama. Who are the people that he turns to? Who are the people he surrounds himself with? You got to have good stuff in place. You got to have good structure in place. You have to have the right people in place. That's the mark of a good manager. It's not having a title. It's not having access to do a lot of things or being powerful. That doesn't do it unless the person that has all that really, really plans well, institutes plans, and operates those plans, having all of what's necessary infrastructure in place to succeed. This president hasn't done that in one single case. And the American people, we're all paying that price. So what do they do now? They start marching out the politicians to set up and somehow knock off their opponents. And who's the number one opponent of every Democrat that's in Congress, that has been in Congress, wants to be in Congress? Who's the number one enemy? Who do they have to beat up? Donald Trump. And so guess who they marched out yesterday to take on the Trumpster, the orange man? Former Attorney General Eric Holder. He was on CNN yesterday on their show, The Lead. And he said that if he were the Attorney General, which he's not and he hasn't been in quite a while, what would he do? Well, he would proceed with pursuing an indictment against former President Trump based on what was public knowledge. I like that phrase. Based on what, Mr. Holder? What illegalities would you use to indict former President Donald Trump? Guest anchor on the show, Dana Bash. She said, there's a national conversation about the former president. And I know you were opposed to indicting a former president in the past. In the case of Donald Trump, though, you say that you no longer believe it's unthinkable. Explain why, please. And Holder did. 
He said, yeah, I think given the breadth of what we already know, the depth of the criminality that we already know, and what I undoubtedly think we're going to get from the January 6th committee and the danger to the republic, there was an attempt to stop the peaceful transfer of power. It seems to me there has to be accountability for that. That all just sounds so warm and fuzzy. It just makes you want to stand up and wave the flag and say, get the orange man. Uh... What did he do? Well, you know, uh, the criminality that we already know and what I undoubtedly think we're going to get from the January 6th committee and the danger to the Republic, there was an attempt to stop the peaceful transfer of power. What's missing in all of that? (laughs) Evidence. (laughs) It's a bunch of blather. It's a bunch of politification. I just made up the word. It has nothing to do with facts. Don't you think for a second, Nancy Pelosi's January 6th committee, uh, if they had any substantive thing there, you wouldn't already know about it. That CNN, MSNBC, all of the sycophants at the Washington Post, the New York Times, we would be covered with information, with facts, with evidence. Here's the criminality of Donald Trump. This is what he did. He's an insurrectionist, and that's treason. And you know what we do with those who commit treason in the United States. We hang them, string him up. There's no evidence. In fact, it's so bleak for the January 6th Democrats that they just knew they were going to be able to turn the midterm elections back their way just because they're going to investigate and find all of these things that Donald Trump did regarding that quote-unquote insurrection that he orchestrated. He put it together. And so they began investigating, and guess what they found out? Uh, He tried to have Washington, D.C. prepared for what he felt was going to happen that day. A lot of people, and it might get unruly. So his administration, they reached out days in advance to the National Guard and said, hey, guys, we want several thousand of you guys to be right around the Capitol and the White House and everywhere in between because we're hearing there may be some bad stuff out there. And so what do they do? They reach out to the person who has the authority to do that. And it wasn't and isn't the president of the United States. It's the management of the United States Capitol. Now, who's over that? Who is ultimately at the top of that? That would be the Speaker of the House and the majority leader in the Senate. They collude with each other. They get together with the leadership of law enforcement over that particular territory. And who is that? It's the Capitol Police. So they all get together. Had a conference call with the leader of the National Guard. Hey, President Trump reached out to us and he said we need to prepare for what's going to happen on January 6th and he wants us to bring thousands of people to D.C. to make sure that it doesn't get unruly. And what happened? Pelosi, and I'm paraphrasing, no, we don't need that. We'll call you if we need you. Click. That was just one thing. There were dozens of things like that. Adam Schiff 
is one of the ringleaders for the Democrats on that January 6th committee. He is so consumed with hatred. I've never seen a politician express it so vapidly as does Adam Schiff. He despises Donald Trump and everything he stands for. And anybody that was ever even in Trump's presence has got to be evil too. He is so desperate as is Eric Holder. We got to make sure Donald Trump can't run for president in 2024. If he can, oh my God, the orange man might win and come back in power. And we can't have that because what he promised to do and he started in his first four years was to give government back to the people. We can't have that. Americans aren't able. They're not capable to even understand how to run this nation. We need to be back in power, top to bottom. And we can't do that without getting rid of the orange man. So what did Adam Schiff do? He made up some evidence. He got busted doing it. But you know what? That doesn't matter to these nut jobs. They don't care. They don't mind lying. It's part of what they do. It's part of who they are. Adam Schiff, the chief among them, he got caught. If they had implicating evidence of any criminality by Donald Trump, you would know it inside out, top to bottom, and there's nothing out there. It sounds eerily similar to, uh, oh, I don't know, the Mueller investigation. Russia, Russia, Russia. There's no there there. That's the long and short of it. So Stuart Varney, our buddy from the UK, I like him a lot. You know one reason I like him? He knows how to put sentences together and really roll out in a short period of time the substance of things he wants to bring on his show. And he does it in a brief manner. He's not long-winded, but you always know and understand what he's talking about. He's an economist. He's a big guy on Fox Business. And yesterday he weighed in about Biden's new inflation plan. Congressman Buddy Carter, Republican from Georgia, joins me now. Congressman, we're going to hear from the president soon. He plans to fight inflation by spending $1.2 trillion more money and taxing the rich. That's his inflation plan. What do you think of that plan? How ridiculous can you be? You would think that this president and this administration would have learned their lesson out of the American Rescue Plan. That's what got us into this problem to begin with. Let's face it, when Joe Biden took office, inflation was at 1.7%. It has gone up every month since he's been in office to a 40-year record high now of 8.5%. And it's because there's too much money out there chasing too few products. That's what it's caused. It's been estimated that the American Rescue Plan itself caused a four-point increase in inflation. That's just with the American Rescue Plan. Now he wants to do even more of the same. It's just ludicrous. Well, it's not going to do anything for prices, rising prices, in the near term. Nothing at all. That would be my position. He wants to subsidize child care, prescription drugs, that kind of thing, down the road and get the cost to families down. But that won't get the price down. I mean, 
it's just, I don't know, I don't know how to put it, but it's exasperating when the president is heading into a real inflation crisis without a viable plan. Let, let me just move on to something else, because uh, um, primary voting started in uh, Georgia earlier today. We understand that Republicans are driving a big turnout. Is that accurate, sir? Yes, uh, I think we learned our lesson uh, with the senatorial runoffs uh, almost 15 months ago that turnout hurt us. We, that, that's why we lost those two seats. There is no reason at all that Georgia should have two Democrats in the United States Senate. We are a red state. We should, if we get our voters out, we will have Republican senators, we'll have Republican statewide candidates. And, and so we have learned our lesson, and that is to make sure that we get our voters out. And yes, we are pushing that very hard. Uh, former Senator Kelly Leffler has been great at this, and, and a shout out to her and thank her for all of her efforts in making sure that we get people out to vote. That has got to be the message during this election cycle. Congressman Buddy Carter, thank you very much for being here, sir. We always appreciate it. Thanks a lot, sir. Thank you. It's amazing when you get real experts up there to talk about things that they know and understand, and they're not relying on what some political hack explains to them and says, hey, this is how it really is. You don't know this, but I do. So you need to listen to me as I tell you this. And then the politicians just pick it up. Hey, they told me they knew. They said this is the way it is, so I'm going to roll this out and make it mine. Hey, y'all, listen to me. I know the facts, and then they just start spilling this drivel that in many cases is meaningless. There's no substance there at all. We've got several big things that we need to weigh in before the show is over. As we close our first hour, let me just tell you what's up, what's ahead. We're going to weigh into this thing about the Supreme Court justices and what's happening to them, and we're going to wade into it factually. Jen Psaki is going to join us to give us her two cents. I can't wait for her to sing the swan song and leave the White House. However, we're finding out that Corinne, Corinne, her replacement, has got a bunch of baggage that isn't good. And she is very conflicted because she can't stand Republicans. And wait a minute. This is the White House. This is the White House press secretary. Aren't they supposed to be somewhat, you know, uh, nonpartisan? They're supposed to be totally open to getting all the ideas into the marketplace of ideas that come from the left and the right. But if you have a press secretary that hates Republicans, do you think there's going to be unfairness there? I, I just kind of find that to be a little bit hard to believe. Additionally, Ben Shapiro, we don't we don't hear a lot from him here at TNN Live, but he yesterday did an analysis of the movie, the documentary 2000 Mules that we talked about. A lot of you are anxiously waiting to watch it. He's going to do an in-depth analysis for us here at TNN Live in our second hour. And there's a whole bunch more. So during the break, grab you something to drink and be right back. In a world gone mad, telling the truth is a bold move. Your anchor in this sea of chaos is TNN, the Truth News Network. 
The following is an important time-insensitive announcement from Staples. Now, for an unlimited time only, Staples is drastically cutting their everyday prices on hundreds of products your business needs. That's right. The clock is not ticking. Walk, crawl, or lollygag to Staples, and you will not miss this opportunity. These are everyday price cuts. Take a four-pack of AA Duracell batteries, was $4.79, now just $2.99. But act now. Or later, because these Staples everyday price cuts will be around for a really, really long time. Price cuts like a two-pack of Scotch Magic Tape, previously $4.79, now just $2.99. And Scotch Packaging Tape, now just $2.29 for today, tomorrow, and pretty much every day till the cows come home. But don't hurry. These everyday price cuts are indefinite. To repeat, these prices will last. So stop by your nearest Staples whenever it's convenient and take advantage of these normal, continuing everyday price cuts. Thank you. Few things bring as much joy as the delicious taste of Coca-Cola. Like your first time camping or falling in love on a blind date. And now, our new Coke bottles are sip-sized and made from 100% recycled materials. So every bottle can live on to create more memories. That's endlessly refreshing. Coca-Cola. Bottles are made from 100% recycled materials excluding cap and label. Enjoy the great taste of Coca-Cola in a new sip-sized bottle that's made of 100% recycled materials. certain that you have kind of kept your ear and have been listening to what's been happening regarding the uh, protest against the conservative justice in the U.S. Supreme Court who are allegedly going to overturn Roe v. Wade and you've heard it from a thousand different perspectives but there's some really serious missing pieces in all of this. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki yesterday She said, now she's saying this after we heard nothing, nothing for four days from the White House, no encouragement to any of the people that opposed the overturn of Roe v. Wade to be peaceful and not get into anything nasty going after these members of the United States Supreme Court. And of course, that's exactly what these people have been doing. So yesterday she finally came out finally came out, and she had something to say about it. Um, Title 18 of the U.S. Code, Section 1507, just so you know this, that law, there is a federal law that makes protest outside the private residence of a federal judge a federal crime. Here's exactly what it says. Whoever, with the intent of interfering with, obstructing, or impeding the administration of justice, or with the intent of influencing any judge, juror, witness, or court officer in the discharge of his duty, pickets or parades in or near a building housing a court of the United States, or in or near a building or residence occupied or used by such judge, juror, witness, or court officer, or with such intent, uses any sound truck or similar device or resorts to any other demonstration in or near any such building or residence, shall be fined under this title or imprisoned not more than one year or both. That's the law. 
On Friday, Saki was asked about impending protest, but she, as the spokesperson for this president, declined to condemn or criticize them. On Monday, she issued a tweet denouncing violence, but she did not specifically mention the protest outside the homes of these Supreme Court justices. Yesterday, during her daily White House briefing, she was asked once again whether the president felt that, quote, the demonstrations outside of, say, Justice Alito's home, are those attempts to interfere or intimidate? The reporter who asked it noted that the Department of Justice had responded quickly and harshly to protest outside the homes of school board members in recent months. So Saki, as she is so prone to do when she doesn't want to respond directly to a question she's asked, she evaded the question. And she is accusing critics of hypocrisy. Here's what she said. I think I said yesterday, but I'm happy to repeat, because I think it's important for everybody to hear that the president long-standing view has been that violence, threats, and intimidation of any kind have no place in political discourse, and we believe, of course, in peaceful protest. What I do find interesting, and I think many people have noted, is that there are voices on the right who have called out these protests that are happening while remaining silent for years on protests that have happened outside the homes of school board members, the Michigan Secretary of State, or including threats made to women seeking reproductive health care, or even an insurrection against our capital. So I know that there's an outrage right now, I guess, about protests that have been peaceful to date, and we certainly continue to encourage the outside, that outside of judges' homes, and that's the president's position. But the silence is pretty deafening about all of the other intimidation that we've seen a number of people. She appeared to conflate protest outside a place of business, an abortion clinic, with protest at private residence, and protest at the private residence of individual government officials with protest aiming to sway a Supreme Court case. So the reporter that asked the question wasn't done. When he alluded to the federal law against protest outside judges' homes, given the pending case, Saki was evasive again. Well, she said, but I think that intimidation and protest, intimidation outside of the homes of school board members, the Michigan Secretary of State, you know, intimidation and threats against people seeking legal reproductive health care and against our capital and American democracy also warrant some outrage, and we haven't really seen that. Notably, Saki did not deny the protesting outside a private residence constitutes an attempt to intimidate the justices. In other words, here's, here's the, the really nasty piece here that a lot of people on the left are missing. It is becoming very, very obvious with the way that this president, his administration, the leadership in his administration are responding to this, that the rule of law is insignificant to this president. Let me ask you, let's just flip it over just for a second. 
What if it wasn't Joe Biden in the White House? What if it was a um, Donald Trump? What if it was Donald Trump and there was some big case pending at the Supreme Court that was a very, very prominent policy, law, whatever, regarding Democrat political purposes? And these liberal justices on the Supreme Court were under a huge amount of political pressure to rule one way or the other on this thing. And they were threatened. Far-right threats. Insurrectionists, let's call them. Well, let's do what the Attorney General and the FBI Director, let's just call them that. White supremacists. They start showing up at those justices' homes, protesting. What do you think the reaction would be from the left? You know what it would be. They would be calling for Donald Trump's head. They would demand that he address it. They would go to his attorney general at the end of his term was Bill Barr. They would demand that Barr open up active investigations, arrest these people that are violating federal law. Oh, and they would know the federal law by word. Every bit of it, Title 18 of the U.S. Code, Section 1507. You, Mr. Attorney General, you've got to have this taken care of. You've got to go arrest these people, prosecute them. They're breaking the law. I've never seen in this administration or even the Obama-Biden administration in their eight years, many times they thumb their noses at federal law. I've never seen this happen in a case regarding a Supreme Court justice, or two, or three, or four, or five. What kind of message does this send to the American people? It means that if you're a conservative, not even a registered Republican, just a conservative, your feelings, your thought, your protection, your rights, none of that is meaningful. Not anything about you is meaningful to this president. And how can I say that? Well, look at the actions that are taken or the actions that have not been taken. Don't you think the president should have picked up the phone and called Merrick Garland, the attorney general, and said, Mr. Attorney General, this could get out of hand, and these people are borderline breaking federal statute. You need to step in there and stop this to keep it from turning really, really ugly. Instead, his... Spokesperson Jen Psaki encouraged it, even yesterday. She encouraged it, calling it peaceful protest, which by federal law in this circumstance with federal judges involved in it is a violation of federal law. And it means if these people are arrested and convicted of doing that, they're going to pay a big fine and could go to jail federal jail for doing it. So what is the Biden administration doing? They're legitimizing breaking federal law when it's for the quote-unquote legitimate political perspective. It's okay. It's okay. Now let me tell you something else that weighs in here on this whole thing. We don't talk about 
the specifics of the justices in the Supreme Court, other than those Clarence Thomas, um, Justice Alito, who's leaving, but he's the one that that penned the very controversial opinion that is of such protestability right now. We don't talk about them. But there's somebody on this Supreme Court that is up to his eyeballs in all of this, and he's doing it politically. Justice, Chief Justice, John Roberts, got some advice for Justice Roberts. He should stop playing politician, and he needs to begin to follow the Constitution. What am I talking about? A majority of U.S. Supreme Court justices allegedly still maintain that the 1973 Roe v. Wade decision, which federally legalized abortion in the U.S., they maintain it's unconstitutional. According to a Saturday report from the Washington Post, as of last week, the majority of five justices to strike Roe remains intact. And that's according to three conservatives close to the court. Published in Politico last week, that leaked February draft opinion written by Alito makes clear that Roe must be overruled, with the high court noting how it was egregiously wrong from the beginning and that its reasoning was very weak and the decision has had damaging consequences. Alito wrote this, It is time to heed the Constitution and return the issue of abortion to the people's elected representatives. So besides Alito, the majority is comprised of Justices Clarence Thomas, Neil Gorsuch, Brett Kavanaugh, and Amy Coney Barrett. Noticeably absent from the majority opinion, though, is who? Our Chief Justice John Roberts. He is reportedly set to join the Democrat-appointed justices in opposing the rectification of the High Court's previous rulings on abortion. A person close to the most conservative members of the court said Roberts told his fellow jurist in a private conference in early December he planned to uphold the state law, the Mississippi law, and write an opinion that left Roe and Casey in place for now. Now, the Washington Post published this story, and it said, in reference to the Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization case, the other conservatives were more interested in an opinion that overturned the precedents. So looking over his shoulder, let's look at his past, Justice Chief Justice Roberts. He has notably joined the leftist justices in opposing laws that restore legal protections to the unborn. Remember back in 2020, the Chief Justice was the deciding vote in a case striking down a Louisiana law, my state, requiring that individuals who perform abortions at clinics, they have admitting privileges in a nearby hospital. The majority argued that the law placed an undue burden on women seeking abortions, and Justice Roberts cast the deciding vote. He joined his fellow constitutionally illiterate colleagues last year in opposing Texas's six-week abortion ban, with the Chief Justice laughably implying that women have a federal right to an abortion under the U.S. Constitution. 
never giving us where it says it. It doesn't. The word abortion is not even printed anywhere in the Constitution or the Declaration of Independence or any of the ancillary documents of the day. The Texas law has had the effect of denying the exercise of what we've held as a right protected under the Constitution, Roberts wrote. The law's clear purpose and actual effect has been to nullify this court's rulings. The nature of the federal right and fringe does not matter. It is the role of the Supreme Court in our constitutional system that is at stake. As if his faulty jurisprudence on the issue wasn't bad enough, he's also attempting to prevent the court from overturning Roe. Reports allege that Justice Roberts is actively trying to persuade Amy Coney Barrett and Brett Kavanaugh to take a more incremental approach to allowing abortion restrictions. Now, this kind of stuff is not unheard of for Roberts back in 2012. He attempted to convince Justice Kennedy, Anthony Kennedy, to switch his position on the unconstitutionality of Obamacare to get the leftist corporate media's approval of Supreme Court jurisprudence. After he initially sided with his fellow Republican-appointed justices, Roberts cut a last-minute deal with the leftist justices to preserve the ACA, the Affordable Care Act by falsely deeming the law's individual mandate as part of Congress's taxing power. Now, what does that mean? Congress, they didn't pass and call it a tax, but he did after the fact. Roberts pays close attention to the way the media coverage plays out. As Chief Justice, he is keenly aware of his leadership role in the court, and he also is sensitive to how the court is perceived by the public. That's from CBS News' Jan Crawford back in 2012. There were countless news articles in May warning of damage to the court and to Robert's reputation if the court were to strike down the mandate. It was about this time that it also became clear to the conservative justices that Roberts was, as one put it, wobbly. Whether it's the Obamacare decision or Dobbs, Roberts' overtly political actions aren't preserving the image of the court in the eyes of the American people. They're destroying it. I've never seen a court as politicized as is his court. The primary responsibility of a judge is not to center judicial decisions on either the prejudices of the leftist press or the whims of the American public, whose opinions fluctuate on a regular basis but to ignore such political noise and to interpret the Constitution as written. That should be his only job. Anything short of this is nothing but political gamesmanship. Chief Justice Roberts' bid to play politician is not only professionally really grotesque, it's no different than what past justices have done in some of the most highly contentious Supreme Court cases in U.S. history. Just as the justices ruling in Plessy versus Ferguson and Dred Scott versus Sanford allowed their personal views to obstruct proper jurisprudence and adherence to the Constitution, Roberts 
prioritization of his public image over his role as a judge is no different. And he needs to get out of the political judging and get back into the constitutional jurisprudence. That's what he accepted the nomination for and committed that he would do. Nothing in any of that about being a good politician, which is what he's trying to do. You notice in that, I didn't give any reference at all to the abortion, good or bad, pro-life, pro-choice. That would be political. And we got to get away from justices in the Supreme Court being political. I told you about Ben Shapiro coming back and giving us an analysis, his analysis of the documentary 2000 Mules, which if you haven't seen, it's now on Rumble. You can get it there in its entirety. There's a small fee to pay for it, but I encourage you, it's definitely worth it. It's factually documented in its entirety. Ben Shapiro, uh, you know who he is. He's a conservative podcaster, very, very conservative, and very specific and pointed in his opinions about a lot of things. He, he, he is conservative, but he's not, he's not a dogmatic conservative. I want you to listen to him do this analysis, and he even throws in some examples, actually bits taken, audio bits taken from the movie. But I want you to listen to his analysis. An objective journalist that is not in the tank as compared to uh, uh, me. (laughs) Here's Ben Shapiro. So I want to go through some of these allegations. Then I want to go through some of the left-wing fact checks of the documentary, which I find pretty non-compelling. And then I want to ask a few questions. So the 2000 Mules documentary, which again, I think that if you have interest in this sort of stuff, you definitely should watch it because It'll allow you to, to kind of examine the claims that I'm going to make about the documentaries to what I think is compelling and what I think is not quite as compelling. So let's start with the, the first clip about using geolocating. Okay, so the, the claim here is that they used geolocation data, right? Your cell phone can track you, basically. And you can use geolocation data to see where people went on particular dates. They gathered trillions, trillions of pieces of data about where people were from advertisers. And then they were able to basically track people's cell phones. And what they could see is that there were a lot of people who were going, apparently, between unspecified nonprofit groups, presumably the groups that were actually doing the ballot harvesting, and then to multiple drop boxes, right? Going to 20, 30 drop boxes, which is super suspicious, right? It does look like you are now trying to essentially perform ballot trafficking or ballot harvesting. There's no reason. If I'm, if I'm going to drop off my family's ballots at a drop box, I ain't going to 20 drop boxes. And the idea here is that the reason that they're doing it this way, as opposed to just dropping 200 ballots in a drop box, the reason that they're actually doing this is because they wish to avoid the, the view of the authorities. And so they are going to these, these drop boxes and dropping four or five ballots off at a time. And they're doing this hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of times. So here is Catherine Engelbrecht discussing what exactly geolocating was used to do here. 
These techniques are used every single day by law enforcement. Across the country, we buy 10 trillion signals. So what was the criterion that you set? Final decision was they had to have been to 10 or more drop boxes, meaning unique visits inside of a space, and five or more visits to one of the one or more of these organizations. Let's identify a large number of drop boxes and multiple trips, and that way we're going to catch not all the offenders, right? But the worst offenders. Okay, so the basic idea was that they, they drew kind of boxes around the drop boxes, and then they drew boxes around these nonprofits, and they could see how people were moving. This is the claim with regard to geolocating. Now, as I'm going to say in a second, I'm not an expert on geolocation, so I don't know, you know how specific geolocation yet. My understanding is very, very specific, right? at least specific enough to tell whether people went by the drop boxes whether they stopped at the Dropbox or whether they stopped at the nonprofit or whether they were just driving by is a different story. But if you can see a pattern of travel that shows people and the only path that they are taking that day, right? It's not like they're just driving around the city and they happen to pass these things. They're going to every Dropbox and they're driving past every Dropbox. That looks really, really suspicious. Okay, so they actually do this at one point in 2000 Mules. They actually show a mule's movement through what they call these people mules, like drug mules, because they're ballot mules, supposedly. This is in Atlanta. What you see here on the screen is a single person on a single day in Atlanta, Georgia. They went to 28 drop boxes in five organizations in one day. What are the orange dots? Those are drop boxes. That's super suspicious, obviously. If you have one person who's stopping at 30 drop boxes, that's really, really, really suspicious. And then they make claims that there are tons of people who are doing this in, for example, Philadelphia. There, there are lots of people in Philadelphia who are doing this. They say literally over a thousand people who are doing this in Philadelphia. Philadelphia alone, we've identified more than 1,100 mules at rates well beyond anything we'd seen. Closer to 50 drop boxes each. Okay, so they're saying that all these people were stopping at dozens and dozens and dozens of drop boxes. Now, the truth is that Trump actually did better in Philadelphia than he did in 2016. It was Philadelphia's suburbs that turned Pennsylvania in favor of Joe Biden. Okay, so those those are the basic, the, the, the main line claim that they make is that the number of mules who are carrying these ballots and then dropping off the ballots, they do some basic math and they suggest that basically the margin of victory in every single swing state is due to, to these quote unquote mules. Here's what they suggest. Georgia, 250 mules, averaging 24 drop box visits and five illegal ballots per drop. That's 30,000 illegally trafficked votes, far more than the 12,000 vote difference between Trump and Biden. So Georgia, with 16 electoral votes, moves over into the Trump column. In Arizona, the numbers are roughly the same. 200 mules, averaging 20 drop box visits and five illegal ballots per drop. That's 20,000 illegal votes. Again, these illegal votes are substantially more than the 10,000 vote margin that gave the state's 11 electoral votes to Biden. In Philadelphia, Pennsylvania alone, 1,100 mules, averaging 50 Dropbox visits and five ballots per visit. That's 275,000 illegal votes, again, comfortably exceeding the 80,000 vote margin between Trump and Biden. So Pennsylvania's 20 electoral votes goes for Trump. Okay, so the the supposition now is being extended. So this is my problem with the documentary 
I think that there are dots they're not filling in. You can question all the ballot harvesting. You can take for granted that all the geolocation data that they're using is actually true. As we'll see, many of the fact checkers don't. I have doubts about how the fact checkers are doing this. That does not mean that all of those ballots are illegal votes, right? So, so Dinesh calls them illegal votes right there because they are presumably illegally picked up and dropped off. This is the claim that was made in Pennsylvania, by the way, which I think actually had some veracity, which is that the procedures used in Pennsylvania were illegal. That does not mean that these are quote unquote illegal votes, meaning that they were all cast fraudulently or that they are fake or anything like that, right? So that the, the claims are distinctive and they are, and again, it means rigging in a different way. It leads to the possibility of voter fraud, but it is not proof of actual voter fraud. It is proof of really, really bad and, and possibly fraudulent voter procedures. Not quite the same thing. Okay, so now I want to go through the actual fact checks. There are two major fact checks that were done of 2,000 mules, that, of which I'm aware. One was from PolitiFact and one was from the Associated Press. The one from the Associated Press has gotten more play. So here is what the reporter for the Associated Press, Ali Swenson, says, quote, this is based on faulty assumptions, anonymous accounts, and improper analysis of cell phone location data, which is not precise enough to confirm somebody deposited a ballot into a Dropbox, according to experts. So claim, at least 2,000 mules were paid to illegally collect ballots and deliver them to Dropboxes in key swing states ahead of the 2020 presidential election. The fact, True the Vote didn't prove this. The finding is based on false assumptions about the precision of cell phone tracking data and the reasons someone might drop off multiple ballots, according to experts. True the Vote has said it found some 2,000 ballot harvesters by purchasing $2 million worth of anonymized cell phone geolocation data, the pings that track a person's location based on app activity in various swing counties across five states. Then, by drawing a virtual boundary around the county's ballot drop boxes and various unnamed nonprofits, it identified cell phones that repeatedly went near both ahead of the 2020 election. If a cell phone went near a Dropbox more than 10 times and a nonprofit more than five times from October 1 to Election Day, True the Vote assumed the owner was a mule. It's named for someone engaged in an illegal ballot collection scheme in cahoots with a nonprofit. The group's claims of a paid ballot harvesting scheme are supported in the film only by one unidentified whistleblower said to be from San Luis, Arizona, who said she saw people picking up what she assumed to be payments for ballot collection. Experts say cell phone location data, even at its most advanced, can only reliably track a smartphone within a few meters, not close enough to know whether someone actually dropped off a ballot or just walked or drove nearby. So it turns out that like all your cell phone data is not only widely available, that we can track you like wherever you go. Well, probably should think about not allowing people to do that, which is why you should have a VPN. How did you choose which ISP to use? The sad thing is most of us have pretty much no choice. ISPs operate like monopolies in the regions they serve, and they use that monopoly power to take advantage of their customers. Worst of all, many ISPs log your internet activity and they sell that data to other big tech companies or advertisers like we're talking about right now. To prevent ISPs from seeing my internet activity, not for purposes of ballot harvesting, but just because, I mean, it's my internet activity, I protect all my devices with ExpressVPN. So, what does ExpressVPN do, you ask? Excellent question. It is a simple app for your computer or smartphone. It encrypts all your network data. It tunnels it through a secure VPN server so your ISP can't see any of your activity. And that's the bottom line. Like, you don't have to know how it works. It just does. Think about how much of your life is on the internet. Sadly, every site you visit, video you watch, message you send is tracked by ISPs and other tech giants. And then they sell that information for profit, which is the reason I recommend ExpressVPN as the best way to hide your online activity from your ISP. Here's the thing. It's really, really simple. So you go on your phone, you open up ExpressVPN, and then here it is. See? But right now it's not connected, which is sad, right? That's not good. But behold, it is connected. It's like magic. And now I'm protected on the internet. And you can be too with ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN does all of that without slowing 
your connection, which is big for me. So go check out ExpressVPN today. Stop handing over that personal data to ISPs and other tech giants. We're going to mind that activity. Protect yourself the same way that I do. Use expressvpn.com slash Ben Shapiro show. Get three extra months for free. So Aaron Striegel, professor of computer science at University of Notre Dame, said you could use cellular evidence to say this person was in that area. To say they were at the ballot box, you're stretching it a lot. There's always a pretty healthy amount of uncertainty that comes with this. Ballot drop boxes are placed in intentionally busy areas, increasing the likelihood innocent citizens got caught in the group's dragnet. Now, True the Vote, for its part, says that they didn't do this. They say that they filtered out people whose pattern of life before the election season included frequenting nonprofit and Dropbox locations. So in other words, if it were people who were just consistently driving to work past these places like over and over and over, they didn't count them. So they're saying they only counted people whose pattern of life changed from October 1 to, to January to January 1, which is when, uh, or, or the first week of January, which is when uh, the Georgia election for Senate took place. So I think that that claim happens to be kind of weak. And also the government uses cell phone surveillance data all the time in a variety of law enforcement contexts in order to sort of figure out where people are. True the Vote also highlighted Dropbox surveillance footage that showed voters depositing multiple ballots into the boxes. Okay, we're going to get into this in one second because that sort of video is like, there, again, this is a dot that just is not connected in the documentary. Maybe True the Vote has evidence that, that is more than what was shown in the documentary, but it should have been shown in the documentary if so. Okay, so continuing this fact check. The AP says, in Philadelphia alone, True the Vote identified 1,155 mules who illegally collected and dropped off ballots for money. The facts, the group hasn't offered any evidence of any sort of paid ballot harvesting scheme in Philadelphia. True the Vote did not get surveillance footage of drop boxes in Philadelphia. So they based this on cell phone location data, according to researcher Greg Phillips. That's the guy whose voice you heard earlier. And then the claim that all of this was would have been enough to switch votes in the 2020 election. That ignores the fact that some of these votes would have to be shown to actually be fraudulent. Okay, so that is the AP fact check. Again, I'm sketchy on how the AP is describing cell phone surveillance data. I'm not an expert in this. It seems to me like they're using fungible arguments with cell phone surveillance. Like it's close enough to determine whether you were in contact with somebody else with COVID, but it's not close enough to determine whether you were actually near a Dropbox. And again, True the Vote makes claims that if true, the Associated Press does not rebut. Right? Things like we actually filter out people who have regular patterns of travel that take them past these Dropboxes in non-election circumstances. Okay, PolitiFact does sort of the same thing. So I'm going through the fact checks because, again, I, I want to show that the fact checks, I think, are a little bit scanty. And then I want to talk about my own questions about the documentary and where investigators, if they're serious, should actually look. So the Pointer Institute's PolitiFact, a left-wing outlet, right? They, they basically start by just ripping on Dinesh, which is useless. I mean, how about talk about the, the actual claims made by the film? They say, true, the vote didn't respond to our questions. The group's founder, Catherine Engelbrecht, told Newsweek her group obtained geospatial information and ballot dropbox surveillance video from counties and cities in Georgia, Arizona, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. She said her team cross-referenced the two to determine who visited dropbox locations owns multiple times. D'Souza said on Fox News that the movie identifies 2,000 mules harvesting in total, something like 400,000 illegal votes, more than enough to tip the balance. D'Souza's argument ignores that in many states, it's legal to drop off a ballot on behalf of another voter. Yeah, but it's not legal to drop off 200 ballots on behalf of 200 voters who are not members of your family. In 31 states, someone other than the voter is allowed to return a completed ballot on behalf of another voter, but generally those have to be family members or designated persons. 
There have been isolated cases of fraud, like a North Carolina Republican in a 2018 congressional race says PolitiFact, it's possible some people in 2020 collected and returned mail ballots in violation of state laws. D'Souza's portrayal of the practices leading to fraud on the scale of 400,000 illegal votes is not supported by evidence. In fact, True the Vote told Wisconsin lawmakers they aren't alleging the ballots were illegal, but that the process was abused, right? This is what I'm saying, is that the documentary does not make the claim that I think a lot of people are attributing to the documentary. In other words, the process is corrupt and people are violating the law and how they are moving these ballots. But that does not mean that the ballots are being cast by dead people or that they are being punched by somebody in the back room somewhere. Engelbrecht said, there's no way to know who the votes were cast for. What we do know is the claim that 2020 was the most secure election ever is false, which, again, I think is a fair claim by Engelbrecht. The University of Madison, Wisconsin, Madison Political Science, Professor Mayer, he says, it's conspiracists thinking they're interpreting data that confirms their pre-existing conclusions. It's a zombie claim, no matter how many times you kill it, it keeps coming back. Well, that, that is not a particularly convincing statement by the professor. And then, and then PolitiFact says, well, you know, if, if such a thing were happening, we probably would know about it by now. Well, that, that is not exactly edifying. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, but that's not a really great explanation. So your, your claim is it didn't happen because if it had happened, we would know about it. But if you had made any claim about this for two years, you were banned from social media. So, yeah, I, I don't think so. True the Vote and the Georgia Republican Party in 2021 made claims about ballot harvesting in Georgia. The Georgia Bureau of Investigation said there wasn't enough evidence to proceed on that allegation. State officials said cell phone data that allegedly showed 279 cell phones tracked multiple times within 100 feet of an absentee drop box was not evidence of a crime. So basically they're saying we can't substantiate the crime here. Okay, so this, and so apparently True the Vote say that they are going to release more information in the coming weeks. So my first thing that I'm going to say here is I can wait for more information and see what is substantiated. What you need is actual evidence of people going to multiple drop boxes that isn't just the cell phone data moving past the drop boxes. Also, I don't know enough about cell phone data to tell whether there's a major time delay. Is somebody spending five minutes at the drop box and then moving on? Or is it second by second, the cell phone moves past it? Also, if somebody is carrying two cell phones or a pager and a cell phone or a computer and a cell phone, like where is all this data coming from? All these are open questions which require more explanation. So I guess what I would say is an answer that's going to make nobody happy. I think that the data is really interesting. I think that it's really suspicious for sure. I don't think that it's dispositive that this alone shifted the election or that, and when I say this, I mean fraudulent ballots or that the election was stolen in the sense that actual fraudulent ballots made the difference between victory and loss for Donald Trump in these states. I think that the conclusions of the film are not justified by the premises of the film itself. There are a bunch of dots that need to be connected. Maybe they will be connected, but they haven't been connected in the film. And also, I think that the complete dismissal by the left of the allegations made in the film is un unconvincing. So in other words, more information necessary. And I hope that law enforcement does take a more serious look at the cell phone data and at any tape. That True, the, True the Vote says that they're going to unleash more data here. So let's see more data. That is my basic take on 2000 Mules. And I think that, um, you know, we'll see what more comes out. Ben Shapiro, conservative talk show host. And you just heard it. That's his analysis. Now, let me draw a few things that are very obvious in what we just heard from Ben Shapiro. He didn't see the movie. Some of the problems that he has were very well documented in the movie, the documentary, that answered the questions. It wasn't. He kept saying cell phone megadata, cell phone megadata. They had four million feet of video of drop boxes. The only reason they didn't have that information from 
Pennsylvania, from Philadelphia, was Philadelphia wouldn't turn it over to them. Freedom of Information Act. They wouldn't give them the footage that these other locations did. And I saw personally dozens of videos of people bringing bags full of ballots to multiple drop boxes and sticking them in there. Which, by the way, is illegal under federal law. So, it is worse than Ben Shapiro concluded because he didn't have all the evidence. He didn't see the movie or he would have had some that he said he didn't have. Now, it is true that even though there were a bunch of ballots that were trafficked, and I can't think of another word that's better, trafficked illegally, it doesn't mean that those ballots, just because they were ballots that these mules had and they were stuffing them in these ballot boxes, it doesn't mean those votes are illegal votes. But what it does mean, folks, is the process doesn't give itself to free and fair election processes. Why is that? Because it wasn't. Nobody has the legal right to do what those people were doing. And then I'm going to stop by saying this. If Ben Shapiro was here, and I like Ben a lot, I do. I've never interacted with him personally. Uh, we've, we've been online together sending and answering emails. But the question I would ask, how many, how many ballots, how many votes are you okay with being cast in an illegal manner in any one election? Is it one? Is it 100,000? Is it 200,000? How many are acceptable to you? And I got to be honest with you. I fall down on the side of not one single illegally cast vote is okay with me. That means that someone that cast their vote legally is canceled out by one person who cast their vote illegally or someone cast it for them. I will say this, and I've said this before, after almost immediately after the 2020 election, Mike Lindell, the My Pillow guy, he put together a documentary that was primarily based on the electronic versions of not the election themselves, but the tallying of the votes. There were a lot of missing things in that one. I thought that it had to be fixed, that it had to be illegally managed by some people for the numbers to come out like they did. And so many suspicious things happened. You know, all those voting offices just mysteriously all of a sudden shut down election evening. And in every case, when they shut down, Donald Trump was winning. Overnight, the next morning, they opened back up, and guess what? Joe Biden's winning. No explanation for any of that. They were supposedly shut down during the night. That's what they told everybody. And then all of a sudden, when we wake up and they go walk into their offices, surprise, surprise, apparently they weren't shut down that night because tens of thousands of votes were counted somehow. And they all were cast for Joe Biden. There are so many missing things there. And I'm done with it. I just wanted you to hear an objective, a very objective analysis by somebody who's a conservative that you would think would be totally into the cheating part of the election. 
But no realistic, no reasonable person can possibly say there was not massive irregularity in the 2020 election, if for no other reason, just the examples that are documented in 2,000 Mules. And so once again, I'll encourage you, go see the documentary. You can get it at Rumble. 2,000 Mules. Get it. Download it. Show it to everybody. Make sure that everybody in your circle of influence understands their big question marks over that election. Not to do anything with the 2020 election. It's in our rearview mirror. It's done. But to make sure it never happens again. We can't ever let an election be stolen. Ever. Real truth. Real news. TNN. The Truth News Network. Whether holding down the fort or bouncing back to school, childhood is always in session. So keep feeding us right with sun-made snacks. Just like when you were a kid. Remember their naturally sweet raisins? Yup, still delicious. And so are Sunmate's other snacks, like creamy yogurt-covered raisins, sour raisin snacks that taste like sour candy with no added sugar, and Sunmate's new s'mores and birthday cake bites. All delicious, all made with whole fruit. Sunmade snacks. Cars today are computers on wheels. That's it. Uh, the fancy new tech makes our life easier in the car, but when something breaks, can you afford to fix the touchscreen display or the sensor, which can cost thousands of dollars? Most likely, no. That's why I have CarShield, and it takes away the worry and the panic of the expensive repair that you know is coming. CarShield, their protection plans can save you thousands for covered repairs, including everything from an engine, transmission, GPS, electronics, and more. You can have your favorite mechanic or dealership do the work, and CarShield takes care of the rest. They also offer complimentary roadside assistance and a rental car. It's inevitable something's going to break. It happens to everybody, including me. So get coverage from America's number one auto protection company like I did and find out why CarShield cars go farther. Rates are as low as $99 a month, so visit carshield.com. Use the promo code iHeart to save 10%. That's carshield.com, promo code iHeart. Deductible may apply. You know what? Very few are talking about in the news these days. What's going on in Ukraine? What's happening between Russia and Ukraine? Well, it's not looking really good for the Russians. Vladimir Putin's Donbass offensive, it's faltering due to some really heavy losses and Ukrainian resistance. It may even collapse if Russia is unable to get to, to muster up significant new combat power. Despite the Russian president refocusing his efforts from his failed Kiev offensive to eastern Ukraine, Russia has so far failed to make any significant ground in the Donbass region. Putin's troops continue to get and be frustrated by an ardent last stand defense in Mariupol, seen as key in allowing Putin to create a land bridge between western Russia and Russian-occupied Crimea. And while his armies managed to capture several villages along the main roads in the south and the southwest, and they've captured the town of Popasna in the east, it is not yet in sight of its main goal of encircling the Ukrainian forces in the cities of Kramatorsk, Sloviansk, and Severodonets. Meanwhile, Ukrainian forces are launching counter 
offensive operations, particularly around the northern city of Kharkiv, which threatens to cut key Russian supply routes. Russia is really getting battered in the process. The Russian death toll now stands at more than 25,000. That's according to the land forces of Ukraine's latest numbers. A total of 25,500 Russian soldiers have been killed in bitter fighting. Putin's forces have lost 1,130 tanks, 200 planes, 156 helicopters, 509 artillery systems, and 2,741 armored personnel carriers. That's some significant stuff there. Now, of course, the figures have not been verified by Russia, who have remained tight-lipped over their losses. Last month, Presidential spokesman Dmitry Peskov gave the first real insight into the scale of Russia's war casualties, going as far as to describe them as significant. The Kremlin was also forced to admit the humiliating loss of its Black Sea flagship Moskva after it was struck by a Ukrainian missile. The defense ministry said one crew member had died, 27 others were missing after the sinking, while the remaining 396 had been rescued. Experts, meanwhile, believe Russian losses could be even higher than those claimed by Ukraine, as high as 60,000, when including those killed, injured, captured, and or declared missing. Despite the heavy losses, Putin did not call a national mobilization, as some expected that he would on Russia's Victory Day earlier this month. If he had done that, a move which would have allowed him to bolster his forces with reservist fighters. A research fellow at London's Royal United Services Institute an, uh, an analyzes the current situation in a comment piece for Mail Online. The much-anticipated Victory Day speech by Putin in Moscow on Monday did not include a call to mobilize, meaning Russia still cannot legally call up those conscripts and reserves en masse to replace continued heavy troop losses in Ukraine. I don't know why, but our news media at the national level, they're not covering this anymore. I wonder why that is. Maybe they are doing their analysis of their ratings and they're finding that the American people are growing a little bit numb about having this blasted in our faces every day on the news. I understand that. I understand that. I mean, I'm in the media business myself. I get it. Ratings turn into dollars and cents if you handle them right. But we're not just talking about a chance to sell an extra commercial or two. We're talking about the lives of innocent people, men, women, and children, who are being slaughtered every day by the Russians in a sovereign nation that they have no right even being in, yet alone fighting in Ukraine. It is a big deal. My my heart, my mind, every day, I, uh, those of you who know me, I do a 6 o'clock prayer meeting every morning, Monday through Friday, And at the top of the prayer list in this prayer group every day is God protect the people of Ukraine and bring Vladimir Putin to the realization that he's in the wrong and they need to get out of this sovereign nation that they unprovoked made a determination to invade. We do know this firsthand. There are men, women, and children that are running in terror for their lives every day with no place to go. They can't get out of the country. Their homes, their towns, their cities, their infrastructure has just been flattened. 
I don't understand why Vladimir Putin would even do this. He says he wants Ukraine. He wants to protect the Russian people that live in Ukraine. But yet he has single-handedly pretty much obliterated anything in Ukraine that he would want to be left if he does take it over. I mean, he's destroyed numerous towns and cities. And when I say destroyed, I'm talking about if you see the pictures, see the videos, it's like a bomb scene, a nuclear blast site. No building standing, everything just rubble on the ground. I don't like war. I didn't serve in the military. Medically, I couldn't. I only had one kidney. And actually, I would have served in the military. But I know there are so many different moving parts and pieces. I can't look down my nose at anybody in the military because they've done something that I couldn't do. They raised their hand and said, I'll go. I want to get into just for a moment these primary elections that are underway in preparation for the midterm elections coming up in November. Have you heard the name Kathy Barnett? She's an African-American woman. She's a candidate in the Republican primary up in Pennsylvania for an open Senate seat. Now, in her campaign for the primary, she's been outspent. Listen to this. 358 to 1. She's become a major contender in the race with just a week before Election Day. Yesterday, polling had shown her, who previously by the way, lost a house race in the Philadelphia suburbs. These polls out yesterday show her closing in on former Bridgewater Associates CEO David McCormick and former talk show host Mehmet Oz, Dr. Oz. Barnett beat McCormick by one point, only trailed Oz by two points in a Trafalgar group poll released earlier this month. Listen to these numbers. McCormick and Oz have spent $11.4 million and $12.4 million, respectively, on TV ads. Barnett has only spent $137,000. She's considered to be part of the MAGA wing. She is not endorsed by Donald Trump. He endorsed Dr. Oz back in April. Barnett's apparent rise is surprising just because of the lack of notoriety or resources compared to some of the other candidates in that race. That's from Brian Nutt, a Pennsylvania-based Republican strategist. They're spending 50 million bucks on ads. That is their campaign, Barnett told Politico about her competitors. Unless there's some highfalutin press conference or debates or events to go to, it's overwhelmingly on television. And it's these plastic, little run-of-the-mill political ads. Barnett, whose mother gave birth to her at the age of 12 after she was raped, she is ardently pro-life. She passionately spoke about her backstory and her stance on abortion at the final debate before the May 17th primary, just six days away. She said, I was not just a lump of cells, as you can see, and I'm still not just a lump of cells. She went after Oz, who previously said a fetal heart is not beating at six weeks gestation during the debate. I'm wondering if the good doctor has now since changed his position on that. My life is valuable. So are the many lives that find themselves in the womb of their mother. 
whether in the wombs or toward the end of that life, she said. We're going to be watching this case. This is a pretty big deal, folks. A pretty big deal. When you have a woman, obviously the voters of her state, the ones that are supporting her, are doing it based on substance. She doesn't have a bunch of money. And she hadn't spent a bunch of money. Outspent 358 to 1. That's unheard of in a major election. And a Senate race, United States Senate race in Pennsylvania, regardless of who you are, that's a major race. This is going on while the guy at the top, you know, he got elected. He got elected. Whether or not we think that vote tally was correct back in 2020 is totally immaterial. He was inaugurated on January 20th of 2021. He's the guy. But he is struggling. His job approval rating is underwater in 46 different states, including, by the way, the typically dark blue California. He's underwater in 46 states, including California, which abundantly voted for him in 2020. I won't go through all of the approval and disapproval ratings numbers, but he's underwater in Alabama, Alaska, Arizona, Arkansas, California, Colorado, Connecticut, Delaware, Florida, Georgia, Idaho, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, Maine, Maryland, Michigan, Minnesota, Mississippi, Missouri, Montana, Nebraska, Nevada, New Hampshire, New Jersey, New Mexico, New York, North Carolina, North Dakota, Ohio, Oklahoma, Oregon, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, South Carolina, South Dakota, Tennessee, Texas, Utah, Virginia, Washington, West Virginia, Wisconsin, and Wyoming. He has only four states where his approval is above water. Guess which ones? Can you think of think of them? By the way, he's underwater in his own home state. He's above water in Hawaii, Maryland, Massachusetts, and Vermont. Overall, the poll shows Biden with only 35% approval from those who answered into the poll and a 55% disapproval, 10% have no opinion. The poll shows Biden with a net approval rating of negative 19. Negative 19. That's not a good thing. <laughs> I think you can you can agree with me on that. Hey, listen. Every day that you join us here is a big day for us. I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. We appreciate you being around, and we want you back. We're going to be back here tomorrow morning, bright and early, 9 a.m., 9 to 11 a.m. And, of course, after the show, you can grab them in their entirety anywhere you get your podcast. Who draws the crowd and plays so loud, baby, it's the guitar man. Who's going to steal the show, you know, baby, it's the guitar man. He can make you love, he can make. Tonight